Hi, I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Sarah. We're two English teachers reclaiming literacy through pop culture. Welcome to Lit. So, Sarah, this week I was really excited to talk about everything everywhere all at once. It's funny because I think so often you and I pick something sometimes before we've seen it. And this was a great example of that. Neither of us had seen it. We'd heard good things. And I'll tell you what sold me on it. I saw the preview and I was like, all right, this is weird. It looks weird. But as we head towards Academy Awards season buzz, a lot of people said this is a superhero movie that's going to break through our highbrow movie art. And in a lot of ways, I would say that's very true. Now that I have seen the film, I'd say that's very true. But what's also so true, ironically, you know, our last episode was about an onion. This movie is the onion. Good golly, the layers <laughs> in this film, right? Yeah. Oh, golly. So yeah. you had a throwback. You, you watched this movie via Redbox, good old portable video store these days. I watched it through Showtime. That's where you can stream it right now. But, uh, oh my gosh, tell me, just tell me some first thoughts about everything everywhere all at once. And then let's jump into how we're going to pull apart this onion. Uh, my head was everywhere, everything everywhere all at once the whole time I was watching it because it, I mean, you're told that there's a multiverse and you're told going in, right. I, I, I knew that it was a multiverse. I knew that there was a superhero element and yet you start out with Evelyn in her, she's just in their living or in the dining room at the dining room table, trying to figure out their finances. Yeah. You're like, how is this all? Yeah. It's a tax audit. Like, how is this going to become (laughs) somehow along the way? How is this going to somehow become a story that she becomes this superhero character? And we've got all of these things happening all at the same time. Um, so I, I had to go through, it was a journey, like it was a mental journey. I was watching it by myself cause the, the boys are at a hockey game. My daughter was having a sleepover. So I, it's just me, just me, the couch and the movie. And I, I had, I sent you a stream of consciousness series of texts because <laughs> I was trying to figure this out. Um, what is going on? And, Hot and dog really, fingers, I don't understand. <laughs> and I know we want to talk about the, the multiverse as the biggest part of this and, and an elevated superhero story. But what really then pulled me back in was mother-daughter relationship and my love for Amy Tan. And that's what really pulled me back in because um, it had a lot of echoes of the way Amy Tan writes about a Chinese mother-daughter relationship. And then we see a Chinese mother-daughter relationship in, in the film and then I was like, okay, I can see where this is going now. I got this. I can write. I can finish writing out. I can finish the ride. And I finished the ride. So mm. how was yours? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, so I, I watched this with my partner. Um, partway through, he started saying, okay, so is this just a heightened kung fu movie? And then partway through, he started saying, okay, so this is just a movie about people on drugs. Like he, he was trying to find like, what is the landing point for this film? And I will tell you, I, 
I agree with you. It is such an unlikely superhero story from the first moment. Then when you leap into the superhero element, I was so... You you feel just as disoriented as Evelyn does, right? And then when I realized that Jamie, Jamie Lee Curtis was their auditor, I was like, oh my gosh, they worked really hard to make this beautiful woman not look beautiful. And I'm overwhelmed by that. And uh, you're right. The things that make this story beautiful and relatable and powerful are, it, it is a love story between a mother and daughter, between a husband and wife. It is a love story of people trying to figure out who they are as they have the dual identity of being immigrants in figuring out their old culture and their new culture. We're joining them on the, on the precipice of Chinese new year. It's also a story about mental health and depression. There's a giant literal metaphor of an everything bagel representing someone's just, it's just easier to enter a void than it is to feel everything everywhere all at once. When the first part of the movie ended, and my partner looked at me and he's like, that was a really weird ending. <laughs> and then it goes to the credits <laughs> and it keeps going. I mean, this movie, it constantly throws you for a loop. But there are still pieces that you can recognize in it. And that's, I think, for you and me, when we lit think something, good golly, I wanted to lit think this. You and I actually had to debate for about 20 minutes. How exactly do we tackle this, right? Yeah, we and did. And then even more... You have to say, but like, it's simplifying it so much. We could actually keep going. We could do multiple episodes just about the multicultural elements of the story, just about the feminist elements of the story, just about the superhero elements of the story, just about the multiverse. Because this is not the Marvel multiverse. This actually leans a lot more into physics theory of multiverse, which is a whole thing, which I love. But let's go ahead. Let's bring it back a little bit. And I'm going to just start with, if we look at this as a multicultural piece, a multicultural piece of media worth your time is going to have cultural integrity and it's going to avoid exoticism. Could you expand on either of those things a little bit for me, Sarah? The cultural integrity piece is that it's authentic to the culture, that you're not just pulling in pieces because, oh, I heard that this is a part of this culture, so I'm going to talk about this. It is upholding the complexities of a culture and knowing that a culture is not monolithic, that there are different elements to different people, sometimes different regions even of a country are going to have different things, different dialects that are going to feed into their understanding of their own culture. Um, and you want to avoid the exoticism because you're not trying to be like, oh, this is a high, we're going to highlight these pieces and elevate these pieces as being exotic. And then we're just going to go back to the world the way it is. We're not going to highlight this religious practice and make it exotic and make it like this special, unique thing. It is just a part of who these people are. So it's just a regular part of their daily life. So to build off of that... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, one of the things I appreciate in terms of everything um, everywhere is that the, the integration of the Chinese New Year is really just a, this, that they're maintaining the integrity of the event and saying that this is how, we, how this family understands Chinese New Year, how this is how this family celebrates it, and they're bringing in all of these elements of the different types of foods and 
um, the different decorations that they're going to have for celebration, but they're not making it to be this super special thing. This is just something that this family does once a year. This is something that they do every year and they're bringing in these pieces that they do every year. And it is just a part of who they are. The fact that language is just seamlessly mm. going back and forth between English and Chinese. And yeah, they speak Chinglish very comfortably. Right. That they're yeah. just seamlessly transitioning back and forth between the two. And if you look at a lot of Sometimes in the same sentence, yes. right? And even the the you have Evelyn and Wayman and they're married to each other and they're both from China and they're mm -hmm. married to each other. And even in that relationship, even though the, I, I believe they're speaking Mandarin, but their, their dialect is their first language. And yet they do, they seamlessly keep transitioning back and forth between both Chinese and English in something that is their native language. Because sometimes they're just some words that as we know with language, I think the more people study this language, the more they understand that there are just some words in different languages that are better descriptors of yeah. something. So maybe it is better to use English here, or maybe it is better to use Chinese here because I can better describe what I'm talking about if I use the language that is a better descriptor of it. Because um, I don't think people spend nearly as much time thinking about how specific language actually is. Yeah. And I think to just to add on that, when I think about the avoidance of exoticism, so much of you think about really the only white person in this cast is Deirdre, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, their auditor. And predominantly the main core cast, if we're going to say this is a story about a Chinese family, our main core cast are all Chinese individuals. And that's very authenticated. Even more, as I was hearing you talk, if we boil down human experience, humans need tradition to feel grounded. They need routines to feel grounded and they need language. And you see that in this family and in this story in a way that's just normal. It's not suddenly like, oh, ooh, wow, look at this family who lives in this laundromat and then they have a Chinese New Year celebration. It is just normalized in such a beautiful, important way. And I think you and I, all the way back to when we introduced multicultural literature and multicultural study to our American literature class, way back in the day, we really talked to students about how do we normalize that the American experience is a multicultural experience, but also acknowledging so much of what we see with Evelyn, part of why the multiverse works so beautifully with her immigrant story is the fact that to be an immigrant is to hold a dual identity, to always feel split. And you see a lot of those visuals of Evelyn splitting constantly as she's shifting between the multiverse. And that I think is also very much true as we're looking at cultural integrity and avoidance of exoticism, which are both from an article from Boston U University, by the way, looking for um, good multicultural literature those ideas also play into our idea of the multiverse, which before we go any further, and then we can go into our superhero elements, realistically, a multiverse by definition is not our Marvel version of just, well, there are 10 Lokis out there, right? The true multiverse theory is actually every choice that we make as humans fractures our universe in a way that creates alternate universes. And so for Evelyn on an even deeper level, because she left her whole country behind, because she left her whole family behind, because she became a mother, because she chose a specific career, all of these things play into 
a multiverse on a deeper level. To such an extreme that my two favorite extremes, of course, are the Hot Dog Hands universe and the Raccoon 2D universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you mean Ratatouille? No. <clears throat> no, it was definitely a raccoon. Just goofy, right? Um, and they actually say, like, how is there a universe where people have hot dog hands? And so they, they rewind in their little study. Well, there was this evolutionary theory at one point where there was an ape that had hot dogs for hands, and they killed the ape that had human hands. I mean, it's, it's goofy, right? Like, what I love is this movie is based on real scientific theory and real human experience, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And for the complex story that it's taking on, you, you need that. You need the the levity in the midst of so much depth, right? Well, and let's be honest, we're talking about multiverse and the immigrant experience. The immigrant experience is a series of a lot of decisions that would drastically change your life. Um, the fact that she chooses love over family, so she chooses love of a partner over love of family, and leaves the country, what if she had stayed and had not chosen a love of a partner and had chosen a career instead? And and the fact that they still then circle back to each other, which I think is a mm. beautiful commentary on really the power of love, is the fact that they, they circle back to each other. Um, but we are seeing, there, there's so much in this that has layer upon layer upon layer, which is why I probably could watch this three or four times before I <sighs> fully caught on to everything. Yeah. So, but there, there was time for one. So we're, we're going to talk about <laughs> the one here. So let's talk about the elements of superhero fiction that we see in there. Okay, so I will tell you, just teachers out there, oftentimes when we're looking for our elements, because as a good lit thinker, I'm going to look for what are some uniform ideas that I see across multiple pieces of media that can also bring back to my study of this specific piece. I often go to masterclass episodes. I've done this when I've taught dystopia in the past. We're doing it now here as we're looking at superhero fiction. So these are six common plot elements that we see in superhero fiction. And to give a bigger context about superheroes, our modern concept of the superhero really comes out of World War II. Both Captain America and superhero comics were invented at this time. This is our modern whole genre of comics. They come out of, we needed a good guy to root for when the world felt like it was at its darkest and its worst. And interestingly, Evelyn finds herself in a very similar space, right? Someone approaches her and says, basically, not just the universe, but the multiverse is at risk. If you do not choose to take on the call, the task, you everyday person need to choose to make the world better. And as a result, we are going to call you to be a superhero. You see a lot of just, I mean, those correlations of Captain America's call to action, Superman's call to action. We see those in Evelyn's story. So these are the six pieces. You have to have an urban urban setting. Part of that, I think so often, that's where people can easily get lost. You can have a dual identity because there's just so many humans. How can you keep track of all of them? For everything, everywhere, all at once, it's based on the West Coast, most likely probably in the San Diego area, we do see other versions of that. One of my other favorite multiverses is when Evelyn and her daughter Joy are rocks. It just, anyway, 
Uh, okay, so urban setting. Then we also need to have a superpower. So for Evelyn, it's her ability to jump between multiverses. Specifically, a different version of her husband, Waymond, actually comes to her. And they have developed a technology where if you wear these headphones and do something really unexpected and weird. Oh, the paper cuts. I, I still can't get over those. There's several of them. They're very ugh, disturbing. But they do something crazy. And then it allows them to access a power from a different version of themselves, download it to their brain, and then they now can be themselves in this universe and function with that superpower. So one of the first things that Evelyn downloads is her ability to kung fu. And even this morning, I was joking around with my tiny human that I could kung fu him with my pinky. So <laughs> anyway... <laughs> then uh, our third element is a dramatic origin story. So for Evelyn, I mean, she's found herself at her absolute wit's end. She's lying to her father about the fact that her business is being audited. It's implied that her father has some health issue. That's why he's come back to them in America, because he disowned her when she left, right? Yep. Um, but, like, there's something there that isn't fully um, packed. And I actually, I want to hear from you, Sarah. How do you see that our next element is... Uh, so, sorry, the dramatic origin then for Evelyn, she's in the middle of her audit and her mind, it she feels like her mind keeps wandering, but it's actually her call to joining the multiverse battle. But I want to hear from you, Sarah, how exactly do you see the secret identity in this piece? She's a totally unexpected hero. That's the secret identity. Mm -hmm. I, I you, you see her and she's somewhat meek. In terms of how she deals with situations, she doesn't. She's not confrontational. She's a little bit confrontational with her daughter, but that's just because she's being, if we're going to talk stereotypes, a stereotypical Chinese mother who's just trying to get her daughter to do what she wants her to do. Um, but there's nothing. She's so unassuming. There's nothing about her that screams that she could do kung fu, that she could do any of these things that she does it, once. Once she starts to find her superpowers and it, it, she's a secret, her, her secret, her identity is secret to her, not just mm. everybody else. That's, I think yes, her identity exactly. is secret to her and she yes. has to be shown that that is who she is. And oddly, and maybe not oddly, but interestingly enough, she's shown who she is by her sidekick who is her husband in many ways mm. right her husband mm -hmm. who we find out is seeking a divorce in her current reality and not because he actually wants to divorce her but because he wants to get him get her to actually talk to him and it's like well maybe if i yeah. threaten a divorce she'll she'll be willing to have a real conversation here so in that reality he's trying to get her to communicate with him and then in the the new reality where her, he's playing a sidekick who knows what's going on and from the Alphaverse, right? So he's from the Alphaverse and he's trying to get her to see who she actually is and see her identity. He has a lot of power of some kind and he's able to control things that she has never seen her husband do. So it opens up her eyes to the reality that maybe there's more to her husband than she sees because they they're stuck as happens with a lot of married couples that then find a way out of it and they they do figure out how to become unstuck but they are stuck very much emotionally 
and financially and in which also is feeding their emotional that they're mostly being stuck that is is causing them to struggle and so that we see her husband in various universes play a sidekick role to her and he's not abdicating any kind of personality or any kind of power to her he's just like i'm going to help you find out who you are and here we go it it is pretty beautiful the more you see it unfold throughout the film right so there are other pieces i mean i as a queer person really felt so much about evelyn's battle with her daughter being gay there's one point where joy a different version of joy actually says to her mom oh my gosh you're still hung up on me being gay in this universe like oh my gosh and she says the universe is so much bigger than the like my queerness so get over yourself we also one of my two favorite moments were when waylin in an or wayman in another universe says to evelyn you know what you're writing off this other world where we just sat lived in a laundromat and did laundry together but honestly in another lifetime i really would have enjoyed just doing laundry with you and this is a man who clearly has found wealth has found financial success maybe personal professional success but he lost the love of his life when she walked away from him Right, so there's that speech, and then when Evelyn really realizes it, when she's fully embraced the googly eye mentality, I'm going to call it, (laughs) she has a whole speech, she actually says to her father, where she says, you know what, I I go into the world with my fists clenched, right? Like, I am someone who just fights. And I had to find someone who made me better to choose kindness instead. So, you know, at one point, Wayman looks at her and says, what are you doing? She says, I'm fighting your way. I'm fighting with kindness. And this is then when she faces her adversaries, they end up with puppies in their arms or they end up married or they end up with their deepest desire being met, which is a totally different way to experience the multiverse. And I'm simplifying a very beautifully complex detail of the story. But that then speaks to our supervillain adversary. So in this case, for Evelyn, it's actually her daughter Joy who has become to the universe the Jobu Tupaki, which in this situation brings on a whole other layer of the Jobu Tupaki is Joy's own mental health struggle. She is struggling not as an immigrant, but as a child of immigrants, balancing her American identity with her parents' culture and how then for her specifically how that correlates with her love life with her girlfriend, Becky. And so it's easier for her to say, because I feel everything everywhere all at once, it's easier to just enter a void, great big symbol for depression, than it is for me to balance all of this. And therefore, Evelyn's call in this whole film is to teach her daughter how to do this, how to be everything everywhere all at once, how to feel that and how to still choose her very name, Joy. And I love it. It's so good. It is. It is. So, I mean, this is such a simplified version of this film, but I really, oh golly, people, I just... For you to look at it as a superhero film and then what it's done with this superhero film, how Evelyn is given the superpower and she uses it initially to fight, but then how she uses like her superpower to fight with kindness 
again, when she, she puts the googly eyes on the rock and so much of she's just, my job is not to be my supervillain. My job is to sit with my supervillain. When she goes down the cliff, I'm also going to follow her down the cliff. I'm never going to stop following her and choosing her because that's what I choose to do as a mother. That's what my call as a superhero actually to do is to love. And I, ah, it just hits you. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because it, and this is one of the things that brought me back to my love for Amy Tan and her story. It's about mothers and daughters is that sometimes the daughter doesn't always see the love. Like they see, they don't see their mother's behavior as being loving. They see it as being oppressive or it is, or it is caustic, right? She doesn't like the fact that her mother says things about her weight, but for her, that was her showing her love. She was noticing something about her, right? Um, Not exactly not toxic, but at the same time, that is what she was doing in trying her, in her very best way to show how much she loved her daughter. And I, I think that that was a beautiful commentary too on sometimes people don't always show their love for us in the ways that we want them to show our love for us, which we also see between her and Waymond. You know, we see that in their marriage relationship too, that sometimes the love isn't always shown in the way that the other person needs or wants. Well, and let me go one step further. It's fold back to the superhero idea, but also acknowledging the female relationships in this story. I will tell you, watching Everything Everywhere All at Once reminded me a lot of the latest Black Panther movie, Wakanda Forever. It's reminding us that a female superhero story is just different. It's going to be told differently. And a lot of it is the way the emotion is held in the story. It's not just about good or justice anymore on a world scale. Sometimes it's just good and justice within my family unit. And I have to find a rightness there before I can go back out into the world and do good. I mean, obviously Evelyn is trying to save the multiverse through fixing her relationship with Joy, but then there's still the fact that it it is at its core, it's the friction in her relationship with Joy that is causing all of this to begin with. And you're just, you're not going to see that in the same way in a male centric superhero. And she's not going to sacrifice her daughter to save the world. She makes it no. very clear that she is not willing to sacrifice her daughter to save the world. Yeah. And even though the men around her are telling her to do that because that's what they would do, but she won't do it. Right. And how much shorter would the film be if it was just, we, we got rid of joy. Yeah. That yeah. Way. <laughs> ah. So on that note, I can't say enough good things about this, you guys. Study the multiverse maybe a bit before you... <laughs> the actual <laughs> multiverse theory. Uh, maybe read up a little bit on elements of a superhero or just what makes good multicultural media. We'll have some resources in our show notes for you guys to check out. Uh, before you check out this film, but I, I cannot say enough good things about this film. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I laughed and cried more than once watching this. And I think that's a great transition to, I'm going to start by telling you this week what I'm enjoying first, Sarah. (laughs) So um, I will begin by saying I'm taking my time reading. I I usually read quite a few books by the end of the year, but I also, I enjoy taking my time. So I've not been zooming through books as much recently. And Poetry Unbound by Padraig Otuma is a great option for that. The book is actually... uh, 
print of 50 of his favorite episodes from the podcast Poetry Unbound. I've used it several times in my classroom for teaching poetry. Can't recommend that enough. But the basically every chapter, quote unquote, in the book is a little intro about Padraig Otuma's life, the poem, and then an essay he wrote reflecting on why he loves this poem. And he'll bring in elements of poetry, but it's also just kind of a love letter to language, which makes my heart happy. And then on TV, it's just started, but I actually think it's going to go somewhere fun. I've been watching Animal Control. It's a new TV show. It feels very Parks and Rec to some extent, or The Office. We're playing with this mundane job. We're going to make it highbrow with the relationships we see, and it is just goofy so far. Uh, but I'm watching it on Hulu, and I am very much enjoying it. It was one of the few commercials I saw during the Super Bowl that I was like, well, that looks fun, but we haven't picked it up yet. Yeah. So I yes. I think now I'm going to have to say to the whole family, it's time for us to watch yes. Animal Control. Plus, I like Joel McHale. I yes. love him. He's fantastic. <laughs> exactly. But Sarah, what about you? So I decided to clear off my... I, I have so many to-read books that it's ridiculous. Um, but that's because when you're a book lover, you just buy books. Uh, so I got for Christmas a couple of years ago, the book Orphan Train by Christine Baker Klein. And I figured it was short enough and it looked like something I could speed through. So I was going to read it. Um, and I, I did as students were working on stuff and I was at home. It is, uh, two protagonists, two female protagonists, um, in the current time, it's just actually 2011, uh, a foster girl who is talking, who gets in trouble. And so she has to go and help, um, this older 90 year old woman clean out her attic at, for her service hours because she got into trouble. Um, so it's her story. And then as she's telling her story, she's getting to know, we get the story of this woman who lives in this house, whose attic she's cleaning out. And this 90 year old woman was an orphan train survivor. She had been put her family. She was an Irish immigrant. She was put on a train after her whole family was killed. Well, we find out eventually that may not, maybe not her whole family, but her family was killed in a fire. And so she got put on the orphan train and sent to Minnesota. And it's her story of really triumph and resilience and just figuring out who she is as she is trying to Mm. deal with both the changes in immigration and also going from family to family to family and dealing with sexual assault and like all these things that happen. And she finally finds a family that is as close to family as she's going to get and, and is able to find some, some stability there. And it was beautifully told. It is such a niche part of American history that we don't think about and don't know much about. Like we don't really think about the fact that there were hundreds of thousands of children that were just sent on trains out West for an 80-year period and put with families mm. that then raised them and their entire lives mm-hmm. were changed. And it officially ended the program in 1929. I do know that there were then similar programs during the 30s as children were being mm. orphaned or were also dealing with some serious sickness and lung issues because of the Dust Bowl. Um, but the official program ended in 1929 with the stock market crash. <clears throat> so it was a beautifully told story. I enjoyed it. Um, a totally, completely different note. We, as a family, went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Uh, and it was it was a good popcorn movie. That's all I can say about it. We enjoyed it. It was a good popcorn movie. I enjoy Ant-Man. Um, 
you can't go wrong with that cast because it's a pretty fantastic cast for the whole Ant-Man franchise. Um, Paul Rudd is as Paul Rudd is. He always is fantastic. So we enjoyed it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say that it was nearly even close to the best of the quality Marvel films, but it definitely was a fun Marvel film to go to. So I'll tell you, I read an interview recently with the actress who plays the Wasp, and she was actually one of the first people they approached to play Wonder Woman. She was also approached to play an X-Men in the original X-Men series with Hugh Jackman. And both times she's like, this isn't going to go anywhere. Like, no, I'm not interested. Superhero movies? No. Like, I'm an actress. So you, like, flip my hair. And then, so when, then when she was finally offered to audition for the watch she's like crap like I, i'm gonna miss the train i gotta jump on so uh just funny that she has circled around all of this for a minute and now she's she's finally on board yeah speaking of super yeah well and so. i really enjoy seeing michelle pfeiffer in a role that embraces both her age and also shows that you don't have to quit doing the fun stuff like, cause she just, she's so, she's cool. so, she, she's embracing her age, but at the same time, she's like, but I can still kick butt. <laughs> I can still do this stuff. Yeah. And yeah. So I appreciate that as well. Speaking of Michelle Pfeiffer, I'm going to go there. There's the new Pink Ladies TV show is coming out. Uh, you know, I, my partner really loves Michelle Pfeiffer from Greece too, but that's a whole other side rant. Uh, so <laughs> on that note, <laughs> Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Lithink Podcast and subscribe to our Substack newsletter. This has been Sarah and Alicia signing off. Keep on lithinking, people. <laughs> <laughs>